Hello, welcome to Heart Failure Beat, a podcast produced by the Heart Failure Society of America. Heart Failure Beat is designed specifically for clinicians who treat heart failure patients in the United States of America and around the world. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Priya Mapathy, an assistant professor of medicine and advanced heart failure and transplant cardiologist at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. And my name is Dr. Michael Beasley, assistant professor of medicine and an advanced heart failure and transplant cardiologist at the Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now let's get to our episode. Well, hello again. We're coming to you from the Heart Failure Society of America annual scientific meeting in Cleveland, Ohio. This is Dr. Michael Beasley. I'm here with Dr. Fiumapasi, my co-host on the Heart Failure Beat. And today we are joined by the leaders from the Heart Failure Society of America's medical journal, the Journal of Cardiac Failure. We are very pleased to be joined by Drs. Robert Mentz and Anu Lala. Dr. Mentz is an associate professor of medicine at Duke University, where he's also the chief of the heart failure section and the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Cardiac Failure. Dr. Lala is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. She is the Fellowship Program Director at Mount Sinai and is the Deputy Editor of the Journal of Cardiac Failure. So Drs. Mensa Lala, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Sure thing. So you folks have really revitalized the peer-reviewed journal process and have done some amazing things and are disruptors in our field. So I'd just like to hear from Ralph and Anu, what was your vision for this journal? And what did you see as sort of barriers to sort of equitable publishing and getting research out there? And what was your strategy to overcome these things? Well, thank you. Yeah, so it's really a privilege to be with you. And I would start with maybe a couple things and then I'll hand it to Anu to chime in and speak as well. So as we took over the helm, it was really important to us to put together a diverse team and to have as one of our core values, this DEI and belonging. So having equal men and women on the team, other important elements of diversity, and then having that be a thread through everything we do. So our operational leadership is also just tremendous as, as we think about incorporating each of these aspects into our day-to-day. So it was putting the team together and then saying, all right, so what are these core values in addition to that? And we really wanted this global appeal on this foundation of tremendous high quality science but we knew we had to enhance the experience for each of the different stakeholders. And you underscored the reviewer piece because this is such an important component of high quality science is having tremendous peer review. So I would just highlight a couple of points and then and Anu jump in. So we felt that in order to be in line with our DEI principles and to minimize bias, we wanted double blind reviews. So we've been a leader in that space. So that was a key component from our earliest days. But then also the timeliness of the reviews. Mm-hmm. So we've adjusted our timing and say, we really want that peer review within seven days back. And we realize that can be a challenge for our reviewer pool. So really working to invest in the reviewer pool as well. I don't know if maybe, Anna, you want to speak to that part a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, as always, you've hit all the high notes. I think when you want to be constructively disruptive is how we've coined it, I think you have to think outside of the box. And I think what I love perhaps most about working on this journal is that we are nimble and we have creative license to do things a little bit differently. And I think at the core of everything we want is this idea of broad inclusion and broad representation. And so how do you actually walk the walk, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of lip service paid to that principle. You know, it's okay, DEI principle, or you have a DEI task force, and then they don't like, don't do anything with it. 
And so, and I can't say that we're perfect by any means, but we're certainly trying to be very intentional about inclusion across all aspects. And I think the double blind reviews is one aspect of it. Most importantly, we really want to measure the effects of it because it's one thing to do it. And we're just, we're operating under the assumption that it actually does improve diversity of authorship, but we don't know that for sure. So we're tracking that now and hopefully we'll have some data to report, although it's a little harder than we initially thought. And then we're just very intentional about inviting editorials, ensuring that there's diversity across all categories, you know, level of training, gender, race, ethnicity, et cetera. And I think it starts with your board, you know, like, do you have a diverse board that then allows for those ideas to move forward? And then the last thing I'll say is like, that has permeated everything that we do. So everything is stemmed from that. So it goes to mentorship programs and not only the review process, but also the writing, the inviting to write papers for the journal. Every program, that's at the core of what at least we're certainly trying to do. Uh, one of the things that's been very impressive, I think, as a reader this year, it seems like almost every issue that comes out has some very impactful document that's a part of it. And you've been able to publish a number of either scientific statements, being part of guidelines that have been published, perspectives, consensus statements. Have you made an active effort to try to become more involved in those processes to share them in the journal? And of the, all those that have been published over the past year or so, is there something that really stood out to you that you're very proud of that was a part of your journal? Yeah, thank you. So I would just first start by saying our goal is that we want everyone to read from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. We want this to be applicable to the Heart Failure Society community. And as we look back at this past year, we have had a key focus around scientific statements, guidelines, state-of-the-art reviews, key focus issues. And Anu, maybe if you want to speak to that a, a little bit about what's to come, there's just a number of exciting aspects. But to me, I think actually what just came out with this meeting was this Heart Failure Stats mm -hmm. document. And I think for many of us, clinical researchers, gosh, we have so needed this, but also just as clinicians, how can we best take care of our patients in the community if we don't have a clearly collated data set to characterize the epidemiology and outcome? So that just came out, and I think future iterations of that will continue to refine things. And I think that in concert with some of the other guidelines, including an iron deficiency scientific statement, are some of the things that we've been really proud of. Anu, what would you add? I mean, yeah, I think the HF stats I'm extremely excited about. I think kudos to HFSA for really making good on the promise because I think it was so needed. We all need that. Like I'm giving a talk tomorrow. I'm sure you've all done that. And it's like, okay, let's just look that document up yeah. because it's also at the ready and it's, it's visually appealing. So we're really happy to be the home for that. Mm -hmm. And I loved, I think it started really strong with the new universal definition of heart failure, again, led by Beacon. But it was like, okay, this is our home. We all think of HFSA as our home, you know? This is how Rob and I met here like 10 years ago, or now I guess 11, we're getting old. We were 12 when we met. <laughs> but I think the fact that we get to be that platform for these really, really crucial documents that help us define what it is that we all do, I think is just really exciting. It's also very humbling. I think you guys raised great points because we chatted with Beacom yesterday, like HF Stats, and I think we were all blown away we were also humbled and shocked, I yeah. think. There are some things that we've done really well and some things that I'm just like, why has there not been progress? And I think something that stood with me with how pivotal it is that you don't know where to go if you don't know where you are today. 
Yeah. And I think the HF stats gives us a place to begin yeah. and to propel us forward. And you guys, I think, are just amazing examples of inclusion and high quality science. And I wanted to hear from you folks for the listeners who are watching and listening and maybe early on in their training, early on in their careers. How does one get to hear? <laughs> And how does one become part of this process if they don't already know how? Because a lot of folks that I've met at the meeting who are really excited and really enthusiastic, but are afraid. And they don't know. And they're like, you know, not good enough. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a big registry. I don't have a big clinical trial. I don't have any experience. But I want to be part of the process because I see patients. I am passionate about things. I want to work on something. And I want to be involved. I think that's so true. I think we all have that. I think we all, to some extent, have imposter syndrome in various forms, in various settings, which is sad, but it's the reality. I certainly have it. And I think it's tough to shift culture. I think it takes a lot of time. But when you try to do programs that target different parts of our community, I think the culture can shift over time. And that's definitely the intention. And I would say the most effective way of doing that would be through these programs that are targeted at mentorship, really. And I mean, like this new program that we're doing with ABC, mm -hmm. which is just a writing development program. I love the idea of partnering with individuals from traditionally underrepresented groups and really just, they don't have to be huge, but they should be meaningful. And then little by little, I think you're able to just broaden the tent. And that's the intention. I would say I'm most excited about that aspect of things. That's probably the most concrete way to allow for more people to come in. Yeah, I would agree. And, and maybe to share also around our peer reviewer program. So that's a great entry. So whether you're already involved with HFSA, different committees and things, or maybe in the future, in close collaboration with HFSA, I think us serving as this platform for early career mentorship. We have this application process. We'll have it again next summer. If you're interested in peer review, wanting to learn more, you get paired up with a senior mentor. We go through this didactic process with bi-directional learning. So it's, you, you enhance your peer review process. Then there's opportunities. You're doing editorials. You can maybe join the editorial board. The future where you have this vision of then you join as an associate editor and then you replace us. And, <laughs> right. And so it's kind right. of this, this full arc, I think, that is really exciting because you said it well. It can be scary, overwhelming. It might be kind of, how do I even get involved? I think that's a concrete way, a clear entry point, and you're mentored throughout the process. Oh, that was amazing. You heard it here first, guys. How to become Rob Manson Anulala. Oh, <laughs> but I don't know that you can match whatever I'm seeing here by way of pants. So but speaking of pants, purple. Tell me about the purple. Love the purple. <laughs> I think purple, first of all, is just like visually very appealing, but it actually has representation. It really means certain things. I love the amethyst stone, which symbolizes spirituality and introspection and wisdom and power and creativity. And those are sort of all the things that we're trying to imbibe at the journal. And it both just clicked. We were like, this is, and it's also politically neutral, yes. which we love. Fantastic. And so it's it's pretty. purposes. And yeah. it's beautiful. Yes, it's a beautiful shade. No, I love that. So there's the purple answer. Yeah. So just one final question for the both of you. I mean, again, just to congratulate you both first and let you know that how much we think you're doing such an amazing job at the journal and 
just to hear about all these things you have going on behind the scenes too really shows how much you care about the process and the future of where we're going in our field. So big kudos to both of you and thanks for everything you do. So that being said, what do we have to look forward to in 2024? What's coming down the line in JCF? <laughs> There's so much to come. There's I a lot. Rattle things off. You know, what's been really exciting is we have these illustration services. So hopefully you've seen this now, these just beautiful visuals. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to be leading the way on the graphics included with original science. So I think that is an important kind of next frontier. Mm -hmm. Many of us are so visual. There's That's how yeah, we absolutely. take in information. Yeah. So the illustration services are going to continue to ramp up. We have JCF Engage. Hopefully you've seen this. Mm -hmm. Yes. You receive your weekly newsletter <laughs> from us with... Yeah. And we're going to increasingly tailor that to the individual. Oh, wow. So understanding what are your specific areas of interest and how do we better source our content to you so that you say, I've got to read this email. And wow. We understand we're inundated with emails, but we're going to fine tune that process to better respect everybody's time, convey the information you need and want. And then it's the mentorship piece. It's thinking differently about peer review, improving our timelines. And one of our mantras has been, Yes, impact factor is one measure, but we're really focusing on impact. And I think that is the bread and butter for us is we want to have the science, have the articles that engage with our community where you say, I've got to pick up this month's issue of JCF. So stay tuned because we've got exciting things in the works. Amazing. Looking forward to that. I mean, I can't put the issue down. Well, electronic, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but thank you so much. Again, we should just do another we're just going to just do another podcast <laughs> for you guys because we have too many questions and you have too many good answers. Yeah. But thank you again. I know time is short. And again, I appreciate your time with us. Thank, thank you so much. much for having us. Thank you. Right. On behalf of Michael and myself, we want to thank you for tuning into the Heart Failure Beat. We'll catch you next time with more exciting news and discussions from the world of heart failure. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of the Heart Failure Society of America. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, visit hfsa.org slash hfbeat. Follow HFSA on Twitter and look for us at hashtag hfbeat.